My name is Brian, and I'm on staff here at Highland Park. If you're just joining us for the first time today, welcome. Uh, we've been uh, just a couple weeks ago began jumping into the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, and there is so much there, and it really calls us to live life upside down. Everything that we would normally think, Jesus says, eh, turn that upside down and think about things in a little bit of a different way. Uh, anybody here um, have been thinking about salt and light maybe throughout the week? I, I know for several of you this week you mentioned Every time I've seen salt, every time I've turned on a lamp, I've been thinking about, am I a salt? Uh, am I salt to the world? Am I light to the world? And hopefully that visual has been helping you. I know some of you have been thinking about that a lot and encourage you with that. And today we're going to come into this text that's a really tough one. And it's a little bit extra challenging today because it's a family worship Sunday and we have kids here. But that made me do some great thinking about this that of like, okay, I need to make this so at least I can understand it, so even my daughter can understand it, and everybody can understand it, because it's kind of a tough text. But I think Jesus has some words of wisdom that are going to be very helpful to us this morning. And so here's the question that I want to kind of pose at the beginning of this. How do we read the Old Testament? I mean, which commandments are we supposed to obey still today, and which do we not? And before you say, well, I just read the Bible and do everything it says, eh, not so fast. And if you thought that, just hold on and be glad you didn't say it out loud quite yet, because I've got a little quiz to play, okay? So kids, I need you to play. Adults, play. Everybody's going to play. This is interactive, all right? So I want you to raise your hand if the answer is yes, this Old Testament commandment is one I'm still supposed to keep today, exactly as written, all right? If the answer is yes, raise your hand. Okay. First one, do not murder. Anybody? If anybody did not raise their hand, call 911 right now. <laughs> we have police officers in the building. They're going to take care of them, okay? We just want to weed out a few people first, all right? Okay, raise your hand if this one still applies. When you build a new house, make a low protective wall around your roof so that nobody will fall off your roof and die. I don't see any hands going up. What, you don't care if people fall off your house? Well, in Old Testament times, you know, most of the houses, the roof was also the patio, right? And so people would go up there. So it wasn't just a ridiculous idea from God. It was actually a very thoughtful idea. But it's not one that God's expecting you. If you don't have a wall around your roof, God's not saying you're sitting right now. So you're two for two. You're doing well so far, right? Okay. Here's one, especially for Family Worship Sunday. Honor your father and mother. Okay, why did the parents raise their hands faster than the kids? <clears throat> huh? Kids? All right. Um, yeah, everybody, yes. And that's one of the really easy ones, and there's many of these really easy ones that we see this commandment in the Old Testament. We also see this commandment in the New Testament, okay? So we see in both places. By the way, when we say Old Testament... We're talking about Genesis all the way through Malachi, so all the time before Jesus came to earth. That's the Old Testament. Jesus, his Bible, was the Old Testament. And one of the ways that people would refer to that would be to say the Law and the Prophets. And they weren't only talking about those specific kind of sections of the Old Testament. It really just came to mean the entire Old Testament. So that's what we're talking about there. Okay, next one. From num Numbers 15, when you eat food in the land I am giving you, remember to set aside some of it as an offering to me. So every time you eat food, do you, s you have to set some aside 
to put in the offering. Yes, anybody? I haven't noticed any food in the offering trays lately. I haven't been told that that's in there. Although there is one exception to that. When my wife and I were in India, we were in a very poor village. And the people in that village oftentimes did not have money. And so they would pass these bowls around during their church time. And people would actually empty a little bag of rice into the bowl. That was their offering. That's all they had to give. And then that rice was uh, combined and put together, and the church would feed the poorest of the poor in that community with it. Apart from that, uh, that's not a commandment that we're still specifically supposed to keep today. So we're reading this, and we're like, yes, no, yes, no, okay, how do I sort this out in my mind? How do I know when I read in the Old Testament, yes, this one still applies exactly as written today, or no, maybe Jesus has something better in mind for me today. It's a great Great question. It's a really important question, and Jesus helps us out. So we want to read from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. That's our text today. Matthew 5, 17 through 20, here in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches others these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven." For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So the Beatitudes are bookended by this idea of the kingdom of heaven. And then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is kind of bookended by this idea of the law and the prophets, of what does the rest of Scripture say to this. And the Old Testament is so valuable to us. It teaches us of God's holiness, his goodness, his greatness. The Old Testament gives us clear guidelines for how we're supposed to behave. And the Old Testament tells us of the first several chapters of the story of God and us. It answers these huge questions Where did we come from? Who made us? Uh, Who are we supposed to worship? Is there life after this life? It answers lots of the world's biggest questions. But even in the Old Testament, people were not saved by the rituals they did. They were saved by the God who provided those rituals, right? And God, throughout the Old Testament, calls the Israelites. He says, you will be my people. That's the phrase. You will be my people, and my people can be saved Uh, through my grace and my goodness. So back to our text. When Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law and prophets, but I came to fulfill them. Okay, still, what are we talking about here? What does that mean? I want to give you kind of two metaphors or two kind of illustrations of how to think about that. Both, Both have been really helpful to me. The first is the idea of a shadow. Hebrews 10 says, the law is only a shadow of the good things to come and not the actual form of those realities. That's kind of a heavy verse. But think about this. Imagine that you had a friend, but you never actually spent time with your friend. You only spent time with your friend's shadow. You're like, oh, well, well, there's my friend's shadow. 
and we, I can talk to my, my friend Shadow. We can go on walks when I walk, and my friend Shadow is right there. And we, we can spend time together, and I'm right there with my friend Shadow. And I really like my friend Shadow. I just kind of wish one day I could actually spend time with my friend. And, and Hebrews is saying, the Old Testament is a little bit like the shadow. And when Jesus comes, it's like the real thing that we've all been waiting for. Even greater, it's like the reality, and then the shadow is here reflected in this reality. Maybe that helps us a little bit. Um, Think about this. If you are following Jesus, are you also following Jesus' shadow? Yeah. If you are following Jesus, are you also following the Old Testament? You are because you're following Jesus, and his shadow is right there with him. That maybe helps a little bit, but I think there's actually an illustration that's helped me even more. So I want Steve Taylor to come up here. My friend Steve is going to come up here. And Steve, some of you may know because he's always best dressed at the Fall Fun Fest. Uh, he's been Colonel Sanders. He's been a Transformer. He's been, who were you this last year, Steve? Um, Batman, yes, of course, Batman. And uh, Steve serves in many areas. You'll see him downstairs and in different places. Uh, he's built some ramps and helped some people with their houses and with our deacons and serving other people. So uh, he's on, how, how long have you been at Highland Park? We didn't prepare for this, so I'm really putting you on the spot. Uh, 14 years next month. Oh, wow, man. Impressive that you even knew the month. Baptized on St. Patrick's Day 2005. Baptized St. Patrick's Day 2005. How about that? That's pretty cool. Very, very good. Um, so I wanted Steve to come up here. Because I don't really know anything about fruit trees, and Steve knows a little bit about fruit trees. So what kind of fruit trees have you planted in your yard? I know you have some. I've tried just about every kind of fruit tree. Um, Right now I have peach, plum, apple, apricot, lemon, lime, orange. Wow. That's... Sounds pretty awesome. Don't you all want to go over to his house later and see if there's any fruit? But it doesn't just quite work that easily. There's several kind of stages. And so we have some pictures that I want you to talk us through. Uh, The first picture, tell us what we're seeing there. Uh, These are peach blossoms in the early stages, uh, probably March around here. Okay, so before the the blossoms, the trees just kind of bear like the other trees in winter? They do. Okay. They do, and this time of year they'll get a knuckle on them that becomes the blossom. Okay, so they kind of blossom up. That's really pretty. But we know that's not the end, hopefully, right? And so there, there's another picture here. Let's see the second picture. Tell us what we're looking at here. Well, this is a picture of a peach after uh, it blooms and it's fertilized by the bees. Then the blossom actually will drop off of the stem and leave the fruit like this in the infant stage. Okay, very cool. How many kids are studying this in science right now? Any kids? Any hands? You kids probably know this better than the adults do because it's a little fresher in your memory. Okay, so then we have the third picture. This is what we're waiting for here. Let's see this next picture. Ooh, beautiful peaches that I've never seen on my trees. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite that good. (laughs) All right. What kind of of things could you make with a peach like that? What would you do with peaches like that, Steve? Usually I give them to friends, make jelly, jam, uh, mainly just eat them. Yeah, eat them, give them away, make stuff. Um, So while you're thinking about this peach, I want to read a quote to you from... uh, a man named Seth Wilson, who was a Bible scholar and a professor, and he was thinking about this idea of Jesus and the New Testament and the Old Testament, and he actually was talking about fruit trees. He he talked about apples, but the same idea as, as the peach trees. Here's what he said. The apple blossom is fulfilled when it matures into the fruit. 
When that takes place, the blossom falls off. It is not abolished. It is fulfilled. So when, when the peach comes, what happens to the old flower kind of blossom? It literally just falls off around the stem. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that the blossom was never important? It's fulfilled its purpose. Yeah, it's fulfilled its purpose. Does that give you just a little glimpse of when Jesus came... The Old Testament was a little bit like the flower blossom. It was really important, was it? It was really, really important. And it was part of God's plan. But when the fruit comes, when Jesus came, it kind of made sense of it all. It fulfilled it all. It was why it was there in the first place. Does that help you just a little bit? Maybe think about the New Testament and Old Testament. Okay. Thank you, Steve. Give Steve a hand for coming and helping us. In a couple of months, we'll all go to Steve's house and ask for some peaches. <laughs> so it sounds like an, an idea. Think about that just a little bit more with me. Think about in the Old Testament, there was these sacrifices. You had to sacrifice certain animals or um, even bring certain kind of foods to sacrifice to God. But when Jesus came, he was the fulfillment of those sacrifices because he was the perfect sacrifice. Now, those Old Testament sacrifices... The more we read and study them, the more we appreciate Jesus' perfect sacrifice, right? So he was the fulfillment of those sacrifices. Think about the laws of, in the Old Testament, you read these laws about being clean and washing your hands certain times and and kind of these purity, cleanliness laws. But when Jesus comes, who makes us clean now? Jesus does. So we can appreciate reading those old things in the Old Testament to see how it's important to be clean before God. But when Jesus comes, he says, now I make you clean before God. It's not these cleanliness things that you follow that make you clean before God. It never really was before, but it helped you understand what God expected and what God desired. And when when the Old Testament we read, you shall not murder, That's true, but we're going to read next week and really study this. Jesus comes and fulfills that and says, but I'm telling you, don't even get angry with your brother or sister. Ooh, Jesus comes and fulfills that and makes it something even bigger and more beautiful. We're told in the Old Testament to tithe, and there's actually several different tithes, but that you're tithing to give a certain amount of your income to God in a certain way. But Jesus comes and he says, be very generous Be incredibly generous because God saved you. You can be generous and you want to be generous and you're free to give way more than the Old Testament tithe. It's something even more beautiful because it's about the heart. And 1 Corinthians calls Jesus, once he's died and been raised to life again, calls him the first fruit. So this idea is kind of helpful. I hope it's helpful to you. When I read this and saw this illustration, it was just like, oh, it makes a little bit more sense to me now to understand that Jesus came to fulfill. In fact, that word fulfill is even a little bit tricky, but a a pretty decent way to to think about that word is just to take off the word full and just use the word fill. That Jesus came to fill the Old Testament. He came to give it more meaning than to fill it up and make it even bigger than it was before. And that kind of helped me think about this idea too. Okay, so what? So, So we see that Jesus is the fulfillment. He fills the Old Testament and gives it meaning. So, so what does that mean for us? I want to just give you three kind of practical ways. You can write these down in your sermon page or, and, and kind of help you think through this in the future. But the first is, look to Jesus as the central story. 
So when you read the Bible, you're looking to Jesus first, and then the rest of it's going to fall into place. Because Jesus is the central story to the Bible. And he's clear. He's not coming to abolish to say this other stuff isn't important. But you need to look at this other stuff through me. So kids, if you ever do the little thing where you like pretend like you're looking through binoculars or something, and if you imagine that this is looking through the life with Jesus, and this is the Old Testament, you go like this, and you're looking at the Old Testament this way. You're looking at Jesus as a central story, and this is how you see the rest of not only Scripture, but the rest of your life, looking through Jesus as your lens. He's central to the story. In the book of Acts, we see this played out a whole bunch of times, especially in chapters 10 and 11 and again in 15 and different places. But one of the things that the first Christians were struggling with was, how do we now live with Jesus as central to the story? Because for the last centuries, the Old Testament was the only story we knew, and that was central. And so how do we live this new way? And one of the things that was difficult was in the Old Testament, there were these laws that if you wanted to be God's people, you had to follow all of these specific commands to be God's people, to be the Jewish people. And so you had to keep all the sacrifices and the laws uh, in order to be a good Jew. But when people who weren't Jews, Gentiles, the rest of the people, wanted to follow Jesus, they were saying, well, we don't have to keep all of the Jewish laws, do we, in order to be a Christian? And, the people, and they were thinking, well, I don't... Make, some were saying, yes, you have to. And so that would kind of drive them away. And some were saying, no, you don't have to. And they were, what do we do? And they got together and they said, okay, we need to look at this with Jesus as the central story. And they got together and they said, okay, what did Jesus care about the most? Well, did Jesus say to love people? Yeah, so you got to love people. Did Jesus say to honor your father and mother? Yeah, Jesus cares about that. So you got to do those things. Did Jesus say, come to me, I'm the way to the Father? Yes, okay. Did Jesus say, you have to keep the Sabbath in the exact same way that the other people were saying? No, he did not. Actually, there were several times he did different things to show compassion to people. And people were upset at him. And they're like, okay, so there's a little bit of a difference there. Does he still think the idea is important? Yes. But do we have to teach it in the way that the Pharisees are teaching it? No, we don't. So they, they kind of worked through this, and what they decided was that they needed people, they wanted to tell people, you come to Jesus. You don't have to keep all of the other Jewish laws, but you have to keep the Jesus laws. And by the way, if you keep the Jesus laws, you're already keeping a whole lot of the Old Testament laws to begin with. Because if you love somebody, you're not going to kill them, are you? <laughs> so if you keep the laws of Jesus, you're therefore keeping the laws of the Old Testament that we still have to be keeping today. Does that help a little bit? So there's a, a quote that I like. It says this, We do not read the Bible right until we learn to read it as the story of Israel that comes to completion or fulfillment in the story of Jesus Christ. When you read the sermons and Acts, you see this, that they would often preach and they would say, okay, it started with Israel, God's people. But that story has come to completion now in Jesus, and now God's people is not just a nation, like we think of a nation, but now God's people is all who belong to Jesus. That's the new story. That's how that's changed. And so the people of God is not restricted to whether you live in Israel or not. The people of God, that's the people who follow Jesus. So it got bigger and got better. Um, there's another quote from an anonymous Christian source. We don't know who wrote this quote, but it got passed down uh, throughout the generations, and it, it's this. 
Christ's commandments contain the law, but the law does not contain all of Christ's commandments. Therefore, whoever fulfills Christ's commandments implicitly fulfills the commandments of the law. So what we're trying to say is, if you follow Christ's commandments, you'll be following the law that you need to. And, and it's not the other way around. So we need to keep that straight. The second thing, the so what, is examine your heart. Anybody been to the doctor recently? A lot of people have been sick, and when you go to the doctor, they do all these funny things to you. know, They look in your ears and your mouth. You ever do that thing where they have you sit down and they hit your knee, and your knee does that? Did anybody know your knee could do that until a doctor showed you that? Does anybody like that feeling, and you go home and you do it to yourself? Kind of tickles or feels weird? Some of you are laughing like you've done that. Yeah, that's kind of a weird thing, and I don't know what they would do if your knee didn't kick. I've always wondered that, or if you kicked the doctor real hard when he did that. I don't know what they would do to you. But a doctor is there to examine you, to say like, ooh, something's wrong with your knee or something's wrong with your throat. So we need to fix it and let it get better. And when we, when we read this text, we, Jesus says, it all matters. All of the scripture matters. Don't drop any of it. It all matters. And so we need to examine ourselves and think, okay, I want to read scripture. I want to see what Jesus said And then I need to examine my heart, and I need other people to help me examine my heart and think, is there something that Jesus is telling me to do and I'm not doing? And if that's the case, I need to ask God to help change me. That's a lot of the Sermon on the Mount is God changing our hearts and changing our hearts and changing our hearts. When when in the Old Testament, it talked about you're clean by, you know, what you eat and and some of the things that you do, but Jesus said it's not what enters the mouth, like food, but what comes out of the mouth that makes someone clean, and what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. So your words come from your heart. So God says, I'm not, I'm not so worried about you know, what you're having for lunch. I'm really worried about the words that come out of your mouth. And since I'm worried about the words that come out of your mouth, what I'm really worried about is your heart. Because if your heart is pure, good things are going to come from your mouth, right? You're going to speak good things. So we need to examine ourselves because Jesus says, don't discard any of this. It all matters. The third thing is this. Be better than non-followers, people who aren't following Jesus. And you still need grace. That very last phrase is a little bit tricky, and I used to think about it a different way. But it says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law, in that day, people would have thought like, ooh, they're like the really good people. Except what Jesus noticed was they were just acting like they were good. But they actually weren't being good. They weren't being kind to the needy. Instead, they were saying things like, oh, because I must be pure and holy, I can't hang out with you. Or I can't, I can't go and help you because it's the Sabbath, and so I can't help you like, you know, fix your cart that fell over. Or, or I'm not going to spend any time with someone with leprosy because I need to be clean and pure and holy and away from you. So Jesus saw that these people who they thought they were all good actually weren't good at all. And Jesus spends lots of time saying you aren't saved by your good works. In fact, there's no amount of good works you can do to be saved. Jesus says that a lot. But I agree with the scholars who, who actually think there's something more to this verse. And Jesus is actually saying hey, you see these people? You better act better than them. You better do something better than that. (laughs) If you treat people that way, you're never getting in. If you have that kind of attitude towards the poor, you are not getting in. 
If, if you, uh, you know, act all high and mighty, you're not getting in. That's not what I'm about. That's not what my kingdom is about. And so as Christians, when somebody who's not a follower of Jesus sees your love, they should see a love that's better than the love they have for other people. When someone who's not a Christian sees you, they should say like, whoa, they have more kindness in, in their heart than I do in mine. They have more truth in them than I do in me. They speak honestly more than I speak. I, I tell too many lies. There, there ought to be a difference between the person following Jesus and the person not following Jesus. Does that make sense? And Jesus is saying, if you can't at least be better than these guys, you aren't even close. But even if you do your very best, does that make you righteous and perfect? No. It comes back to we all still need grace. The only way that you can be called good is if Jesus is good. The only way you can be called righteous and right with God is if Jesus is righteous and right with God because Jesus comes inside of us and makes us different. So how do we read the Old Testament? We read it through the lens of Jesus. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus teach? How did Jesus live? And if we can look there, then we can figure out some of the complicated stuff in the Old Testament while at the same time still embracing the Old Testament and not just like tearing it out of our Bibles and saying, well, it's not important anymore. It's really important. It helps us understand Jesus so much better, helps us understand our own lives so much better. I don't know about you, but when I read the Israelites who keep making mistakes and they're real stubborn, sometimes I see myself in there. And so the Old Testament really helps us. It prepares the way for us to read the story of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that God sent Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice. God sent Jesus to take away our sins. It was our sins, but Jesus took them for us. He paid the price for them. And when we read the Old Testament, we see all that they had to do to get rid of their sins. And now Jesus comes and he says, now I'm going to die on a cross so that we can get rid of your sins. This is what does it. My blood pays the price for your sins so that anybody who comes and follows me, Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized, that you turn from your own life and you, you are dunked into the grave and you leave your old life there and you come up new, brand new, to follow Jesus. And he says, I will forgive your sins and give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as a church family, that's what we desire. So I was thinking about the Old Testament. I also began to think about my life and your life. And I'm wondering if some of you, when you think about the Old Testament, you think about your life in the same way. In the same way. And here's what I mean. Maybe when you look at your life, you think, I don't quite understand what it means. You look at your life and you think, it feels kind of incomplete. Like maybe I learned some good lessons, but is that it? Maybe I learned a little bit about me and a little bit about God, but is that it? And I want to tell you that's not it. And just as Jesus fulfills and fills up and brings to completion the Old Testament, he does the same in your life. And if you feel incomplete and like you're not quite sure what to do with the rest of your life, Jesus says, let me fill it up. 
Let me bring fulfillment to you, and I will make sense of your life. It doesn't mean that if you follow Jesus, everything will make sense every single moment, but he'll bring purpose to you. And he'll help bring meaning to you so that even if you're suffering, there will be meaning there. So I want you to just think of your life as being empty. And that's what the world feels. That's what you feel when you don't have Jesus. Because surely this world can't be it. And surely that can't be all. And then we just die and that's it. And Jesus, then I want you to picture Jesus coming into that empty body and bringing fulfillment. Saying, I'll bring you joy and hope and peace and truth and goodness, so that you can live a life now knowing that I am with you. And you'll also know that when you breathe your last here on this earth, that there's a life to come, that there's purpose beyond this life. And so we want to invite any of you who don't know the goodness of Jesus, who have never been filled up with God's goodness, to even respond this morning. In a couple moments, we're going to sing a song, and during that song, if you've never said yes to Jesus, if God has never filled your life, then we would love to just sit and pray with you and talk with you. Maybe you've never been baptized, and that's the step you need to take to say yes to Jesus. Then we would love for you to come and, and talk with us and, and pray with us. Maybe you want to study with someone this week. You can mark your card on that. But even during, during this next song, if you would like someone to pray with you and talk with you just privately up front, There'll be some folks up front who would be glad to do that, and you can just make your way quietly up here during the song, and we'll sit and talk and pray with you and see how God wants to fill your life. So if you would, would you stand and allow me to pray for us? And then if you have a decision to make, we want to be able to pray with you and talk with you. God, we understand the emptiness of not knowing you, and maybe some people here are feeling that even right now. And so, God, we ask that you would fill them, that they would take a step out today and say, Jesus, would you fill me with your goodness and your grace so I don't have to feel hollow and shallow and hopeless anymore, but I can know you and you can bring to completion the work that you want to do in me. God, please fill us who you are so that you'll be right in the center of all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.